0: Miracy. The value of that hands-on work with people to understand their needs, whether that's in-person workshops, whether it's one-on-one coaching or consulting, which could be virtual, right? But you're getting that deep interaction with people to understand their context and their problems. and, And that can really inform the course design in a way that you might not have otherwise.
1: Hello, and welcome to Course Lab, the show that teaches course creators like you how to make better online courses. I'm Danny Eney, the founder and CEO of Miracy, and I'm here with my co-host Abe Crystal, the co-founder of Rizuku. Hey, Danny. In each episode of Course Lab, we showcase a course and course creator who is doing something really interesting with their course. Our guest today is Ian Roberts. Ian has been painting landscapes since he was six years old. Two years ago, he brought his decades of experience to the digital space and he's been teaching the art of painting online ever since. Welcome, Ian Roberts.
2: Hi, Danny and Abe.
1: I'm happy to be here. So, Ian, let's start with just the kind of 30,000-foot picture. Tell us about who are you and what do you do and how did you come to be doing it in general, and then how did it all come to online?
2: Professionally, I've just painted all my life, and I couldn't always support myself through the sale of paintings, and so I taught workshops, which is pretty common. And most of them were outdoor landscape painting workshops, and I did it for over 25 years. But about three years ago, for a number of reasons, I realized I'd had enough. And it occurred to me I could do something online. I could start a YouTube channel because I talk on camera pretty well and express things pretty easily. And I just finished teaching a workshop in Provence. And I got this idea that I could pilot a course. And I just asked all the students in Provence, well... Do you want to take a course? I'll make it, you know, I'll kind of make it up as I go along and you can tell me what you think. And it was fantastic. It worked really, really well. And so that was an indication that I've got something that could work. And then it was uh, like almost a year, I suppose, of actually crafting something that people would pay four or $500 for. And I went through that whole process of developing the course and launching the course which was nerve-wracking. I had an insane number of students. I had about 1,200 people on a mailing list and I had 120 people signed up. It was just unbelievable and then I taught the course well I'm, I'm going more than 30,000 feet I guess to give you the whole overview here. I taught the course for it was almost eight months it was in several sections and that finished last December and I was so wiped out that I didn't want to teach it again you know for a while. So that's why I'm waiting now until January to launch again, because it's tiring. It's a lot of work. And I've been putting a YouTube video out every single week for two years. Next week will be a week 104. And I've never missed. And I've gone from about, well, from zero, really, when I started two years ago to 65,000 subscribers now. And that's the people that I'm going to be talking to When I launch, to say, are you interested in taking the course
1: again? So we'll see how that turns out. So I'd love to hear. This was a very involved course, it was very hands on. I'd love to hear what made it that way. What led you to be so exhausted? And you had such a great result with 1,200 people on an email list. Now you've got 65,000 people watching your videos. You know, there's definitely the possibility that this next launch will be much bigger. How are you planning to manage that? Like, what are you going to do differently?
2: Well, first off, 65,000 subscribers is not the same as 65,000 viewers. What I have is between fifteen and 25,000 viewers per week, depending on whether I craft a good thumbnail and title and so on. It's a little nerve-wracking. When it was a difference between 700 and 900, I didn't really care. Now it feels significant. It feels like kind of an, a personal assault when they don't show up. But here was the thing. Because I didn't know how many people would turn up, I had no concept. I was thinking, God, maybe 10, 20, I don't know. I over-promised. I over-promised in saying that I would do individual critiques of all their work. I over-promised in saying that I'd do a 30-minute one-on-one with everybody in the course. And then I was doing the critique using short loom videos and sending them to them. I was doing like 250 critiques a week. I mean, it was just, my wife called it the loom tomb, my studio out there. It was just, I promised it, I did it, but it was killing me. So the difference this time is that I've structured a program where the critiquing is going to be done by the students as it was done before, but I'm just removing myself and putting a video in there. But I'll be there every Saturday morning for the Zoom call to introduce the next week because I actually find them kind of invigorating, being on Zoom and talking to people. So that I don't find draining. But the critique was insane. And obviously, one-on-one discussions with people was very valuable in terms of getting testimonials and so on. But you know, you can't do it once you've got who knows how many people. So I'm just trimming back what I would do on the next course that demands my time.
1: So- I mean, you teach a very, it's drawing and painting composition. It's a very visual and hands-on medium. I'd love to hear the logistics of how those critiques even worked. Because, you know, a lot of people would imagine this is the sort of thing, well, how can you give people feedback on their art in an online course? And I'd also love to hear in this next iteration that you're planning, what is the configuration that kind of preserves that quality of feedback for people without taking all of your time? So I think the number one thing is that the
2: Western, our Western representational tradition of art is based on a series of conventions, not rules, but conventions, perspective, say, being one of them. And the way color, say, gets cooler and more distant and blue as it goes into the distance. So those are things that we can see. And so The structure of a painting, and as you say, it's a very graphic thing, and you can see exactly what you're looking at, and you can see what the problems are. And if you're trying to lead the viewer to something particular, like we'll call it the center of interest of the painting, and you've got distractions in other places on the piece of paper or on the canvas that take us away from that, my eye, if their eye doesn't, at least my eye sees it immediately, and I tell them. So that was simple. To solve that problem, as you say, if I'm doing critiques for everyone. So it just means that using a buddy system where they have their own individual buddy each week that is critiquing the work with a series of very specific guidelines and a series of images from the past courses that illustrate those particular guidelines for critiquing the work, then they will get the experience of critiquing the work but what i'm saying is the most important aspect of critiquing the work is that it brings you the tools to critique your own work and you'll never be a painter until you fully understand your own self-sufficiency and trust your own instincts
1: i'd love to hear a little bit about the economics of the course right people paid you a certain amount of money it took you this many minutes per week to provide a critique if you take out the fact that you just didn't have like that much time to do it but if you just look at you know, the dollars that you were paid by a student and the amount of your time that it took to give the feedback to a student. Like, how did those line up with each other?
2: Well, the course was $450 and there was 120 students. So, you know, it was a fairly successful launch. And then 80% or 75%, 80 people signed up for the two subsequent courses. I didn't even advertise them. I just said, who wants to take them? And everybody jumped in. It was an incredible group. And like I had, you know, if you look at those courses at universities, you took a psychology course at Open University, the completion rate's about 7% on average, I think. It's hopeless. And I had 58 students start the first drawing course and 57 did every single exercise to the last week. I mean, it was, it was astonishing.
1: To what do you attribute that incredible engagement and completion rate
2: i would say the best thing but what i did is that i deconstructed the very complex thing of learning to draw into a series of steps that were so logical so simple almost so insanely simple to begin you're thinking really and yet each week a layer got added And you're realizing, okay, I'm carving depth on a picture plane. That's the foundation of Western representational art. Okay, now I've got light and shade and shadows. Now I'm starting to lead each week, just adds complexity. And what happens is I think that they sort of just get a handle on what they learned this week. And then this thing goes out ahead of them next week. And they think, oh my God, I don't think I can do that. But now the two weeks before them or the three weeks before them They're kind of using that embedded to do the next one. And so each one is kind of building those past weeks as a given, as they move and assimilate each week as they go forward. Because the main problem I found when I taught workshops, you know, they'd be five-day workshops, 10-day workshops, is you'd be out in a beautiful place in a landscape. And you'd be saying certain things about compositional structure, you know, in the first introductory lecture and then they'd be out painting, and they're already overwhelmed. There's only so much that you can assimilate and integrate into your work. And so by deconstructing it this way and making really simple steps with a week to assimilate it, I think they really see, dang, this is working. I'm going to keep doing it.
0: I mean, how are you able to... You talked about deconstructing the drawing and painting process for people so that it was in very accessible steps. But how did you come to that deconstruction in the first place? And does that give you you know, any ideas as to a path forward for other forms of review and critique?
2: Most of the people that are painting are just saying, no, 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 I just want to get my brush in the canvas and I want to start to paint. I love the color. And that's a little bit like telling the builders to start building you the wall before you put in the foundation. Mm. I've dealt with the idea of what is the compositional structure and what is the simplest way, stripping it out, what is the simplest way to build that foundation so that you can start to hopefully. Well, Abe, to your point, the problem with the course, and now I've got 50 students from that original 120 that are all on their own membership. I don't, I hardly even go now once every three months. And they meet up on Saturdays and discuss and they post work and they critique each other. They're still doing that. And some of that work is getting pretty good. I'm going to show some of that work when I sell the the two advanced courses. Like they're not clones of me. They're really starting to express themselves and it's really getting to be very interesting work. But the problem after six weeks is that the difference between my giving the image and they're working with my image, and they're choosing their own image, that's a big jump. That's a big jump. And it's the I wouldn't say it's a weakness in the sense that it's only been six weeks. I mean, how much can you do in six weeks? But going from my images to theirs is a big jump. And so what I'm planning to do this time is do a 30-day challenge, not to bring them into the course, but after they've done the six weeks, a 30-day challenge, just figure out a little composition sketch a day, every day for 30 days to grind these ideas in. So really make them your own on your own images and post them and get your buddy to critique them. So I'll see how that does. But I think the deconstruction is really good up to that point. And then this challenge, I think, will hopefully bridge that gap.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Do you have sort of advice or suggestions for other course creators who are maybe a couple of steps before where you are? So for someone who's tried to figure out that framework or how to get their students to engage and and take action the way that you did with the initial painting course, how would you suggest people approach that if they're struggling to get to that sort of first milestone?
2: I spent a lot of time thinking about this. And I think when I started deconstructing the course, the first thing I said is, well, sort of to the point I said before, if you're trying to understand all these ideas of structure and you're painting with color and brushes and outdoors in the landscape, and there's all these things going on, it's like a juggler with eight bowling pins. And obviously you don't start with eight bowling pins. The truth is, You start juggling with three pins, and if you really want to learn to juggle, you learn to throw a ball so you're not looking at it, and it lands in your hand. It's all the landing of the ball in your hand without looking, because if you're chasing every single ball that's coming down, they're dropping on the ground. So it's almost like I went back to what is throwing one ball at a time and having it land in your hand so that that piece... Is solid because that is the foundation of how every other part of juggling works, or in this case, how drawing works. And what it is, I mean, I'll just tell you how simple it is. It's learning to draw a series of marks on a page so that you create a flat mass of value, a flat mass of color. Most people say their drawings look like chicken scratches. And so if you are trying to make it look like the landscape with a bunch of chicken scratches, you're just being constantly reminded of the piece of paper. Whereas if you start laying some simple masses one next to the other, you very quickly start to create the illusion of things, objects in space. And once you get that, then it's like, oh, I get it. I see what we're doing here. And then we're adding the complexity to that. So I'm not sure that would help anyone else specifically, but in a general sense of how deconstructed the whole thing became to how simple the fundamental was to begin.
1: That was great and super thorough. I don't have any other questions. Abe, is there anything else that you want to ask or explore?
0: I don't think so. All right. Ian Roberts is an artist and educator who currently shares his tips and advice every week on his YouTube channel, Mastering at Composition. You can find more about him and his programs on his website, ianroberts.com. That's Ian with an I, Roberts.com.
1: Now stick around for my favorite part of the show, where Abe and I will pull out the best takeaways for you to apply to your course. Let's start with the pedagogy.
0: Yeah, so I mean, things that were interesting to me were, I mean, first of all, just how impactful the course is, that he was able to take these challenging skills of painting and composition that, you know, a lot of people might pick up a book or watch that one YouTube video and then not do anything with it. But in his course, he's able to really get them taking action and and having long-term impact I mean, the other thing I thought was interesting that Ian shared was that not only were his students highly engaged in the course, but they're also continuing to pursue their painting afterwards. They're meeting with each other and they're sharing their ongoing work with him. And he's seeing their work continue to progress and to get really good over time. It's not many courses that have that level of long term impact. So it's, I mean, A, it's just pretty cool to see that. But B, it also raises questions and curiosity about how is that possible? And and what can we take away from it for other courses?
1: And it's also impressive that this was done, you know, in such a dynamic way in a in an area where people would typically expect, like, you know, how can you give me feedback on my art if I'm not there in a classroom and you're not walking around and like, giving comments and feedback, right? So that structure of people doing the work, snapping a photo, sending it in, getting the feedback. I think that was powerful. But I think underlying it all Ian is teaching about something that people really want to do and enjoy doing once they get some competence with it. So it's it's not, you know, a lot of the courses that we explore on this show are somewhat utilitarian in the sense that it's, you know, I need to learn how to do a specific thing to accomplish a specific outcome, as opposed to, I want to learn how to do this so that I can do it because I just want to do it.
0: Right. So that, I mean, there's really a higher level of intrinsic motivation there um, for participants, which is, is always really helpful in terms of keeping people going through those challenges. I guess the other thing too is it struck me that Ian's approach to the course was really grounded in this in-depth hands-on work that he had done with people through these in-person workshops. As he said, that like the foundation of the course was, well, he taught workshops, you know, with small groups for 25 years and he wrote a book and then he did the course. And so that depth of interaction with people, it seems like that's what gave him the insights to craft this framework so that he could teach it in a very, you know, step-by-step and methodical way online without having, you know, to be in person with people looking over their shoulders and so on. Not to say that you need like 25 years of teaching workshops before you do an online course. Like, we don't want to discourage people from getting started a lot faster. But the point is the value of that hands on work with people to understand their needs, whether that's in person workshops, whether it's one on one coaching or consulting, which could be virtual, right? But you're getting that deep interaction with people to understand their context and their problems. And, and that can really inform the course design in a way that, that you might not have otherwise.
1: Yeah. I mean, when Ian was describing, you know, everything that went into the content, the curriculum, the design of the course, the two things that really jumped out to me were one, a a really good understanding of pedagogical best practices, nothing like crazy out there, but, you know, chunk it down to really small pieces, give people the small wins, make sure you're building momentum and taking away friction. You know, this is the ABCs of designing a good course, but he really leaned into them, right? He did a great job with the scaffolding of one idea, building on the other, building on the other, making sure you're not skipping steps or taking steps that are too big. And that was paired with a really deep and practical subject matter knowledge, right? I mean, Ian is not in any way a dilettante in a subject area where it's like, yeah, I, I'm teaching a course about yoga because I do yoga on the weekends and I have for a couple of years. It's like, no, no, he's been doing this professionally for decades And it takes that depth of experience, you know, both doing it and teaching it in whatever modalities you do, you know, you start where you are, but you need that depth of subject matter knowledge as well.
0: Yeah, for sure. So then on the business side, I guess, I mean, curious to hear your thoughts, Danny, but I mean, it definitely just seemed like another case of how powerful it is to build a very focused and engaged audience around something very specific, right? Like he has people that just really love his videos and his work. And as a result, like launching a course to his mailing list was a smashing success. But it's not because he had some like secret marketing strategy that no one else had figured out. It was more that people were, they were just hungry for that offering from him. And they had been eagerly watching his videos and waiting for him to sell them something essentially.
1: Well, and that very specific focus is really interesting and noteworthy. I mean, the course was called Mastering Composition, right? Not mastering painting, not mastering drawing, composition, like a very particular aspect. And then, you know, the next two courses were mastering line work and mastering color. Again, very narrow, very focused. But, you know, that makes it really easy for people to say, yes, that is exactly what I want and need. So that's really, really good. You know, in terms of the business side of it, I really liked the way that he looked at how can I provide the level of feedback that I want? And, you know, of course he was much more successful than he expected. And then his success came back to bite him with the, you know, being trapped in the loom tomb, creating all those feedback videos. But then in looking at how he could go about scaling the service while reducing his personal involvement, there are kind of two paths that he could take, right? One is hire coaches, hire teacher's assistants, hire his past students. And they certainly wouldn't be able to do it as efficiently as he could, but you know, he could give them a framework, he could give them a checklist, he could give them the tools to do that, and the amount of individual attention, while enormous when you multiply it by 120 students, was very manageable on a per-student basis. So you know, he could absolutely afford the unit economics would work to have that tiering structure of support. But that said, the other route was, well, what if we create this peer feedback structure, which has advantages from a scalability perspective, but the real benefit from where I'm sitting is that it's pedagogically a much more powerful experience, right? When we are the ones giving the feedback, it forces us to think about what we're doing in a whole different way. We learn, and we know this from, you know, Miracy programs where we've integrated peer feedback structures. Some of the most powerful learning happens when people are actually giving the feedback, you know, as great as receiving feedback, is, it's the giving of the feedback that that really cements a lot of the learning.
0: Yeah, I think that's often underestimated. You know, people might think of the peer-to-peer approach as just a way to scale or to avoid having to give individual feedback yourself. But there's that other aspect to it as well as it actually is serving as a learning tool.
1: And often, you know, when we like we can back our way into it from thinking, you know, how can I free up my time? Right. And we come up with creative ideas that end up being really valuable for the student. But sometimes it's helpful to even approach it the other way, right? You know, if, if I wanted to keep delivering this crazy high level of support, if I wanted to even step it up further, what would I do? How would I do it? And that often opens ideas for, well, you know, there's no way I could do that all myself, but I could hire someone to do it. I can create these structures for other people to do it. And we could really step up that level of quality experience. All right. That's all I got. You want to do the
0: readout? Alright, ready? Thank you for listening to CourseLab. I'm Abe Crystal, co-founder and CEO of Riziku, here with Danny Eney, founder and CEO of Miracy. Course Lab is part of the Miracy FM podcast network, which also includes Just Between Coaches, Making It, and Once Upon a Business. This episode of Course Lab was produced by Cynthia Lamb, Jeff Govardson assembled the episode, Danny Eney is our executive producer. Another thanks to Ian Roberts for taking the time to run us through his course. You can find out more about him at ianroberts.com. That's ianroberts.com. To make sure you don't miss the really great episodes coming up on CourseLab, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you like the show, please leave us a star review. It's the best way to help us get these ideas to more people. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.